Spring into reading this season with the Biblio Lifestyle 2024 Spring Reading Guide. In this season's guide, I've handpicked 21 of the best new books and I've organized them across six categories. So whether you're looking for a romance novel that will give you a happily ever after, a thrilling mystery to keep you guessing, or an immersive historical fiction book, this guide has a book or three or seven just for you. Now, if 21 books sounds like too much for you, there's a minimalist reads list in the guide, which includes a list of six must-read books from across genres. But wait, that's not all. The spring reading guide also includes fun recipes, spring activities and lifestyle tips. So head on over to springreadingguide.com and download your copy of the guide. That's springreadingguide.com and download your free copy of the 2024 Spring Reading Guide. So download your free copy and discover your next favourite book. Happy reading! Hi readers, so before we start the show I have a quick ask. Will you pretty please rate and review the show if you like it? I mean, if you don't like it, well, you know, that's your choice. But if you do like it, rating and reviewing helps other people find a show. So if you take a few seconds and hit those five stars, that helps. And if you take a minute to write something nice about the show, that will help even more. So thank you, thank you, thank you in advance, and alrighty, now on to the episode. Hello, I'm Victoria from Biblio Lifestyle, and you're listening to the Reader's Couch Podcast. The show that will help you bridge the gap between living a full and busy life to one where you're reading, learning new things and having fun. It's Throwback Thursdays and in today's episode I'm sharing an interview I had with author Margaret Wilkerson Sexton to talk about her second novel, The Revisioners. Stay tuned! A historical fiction novel to add to your reading list is Night Wherever We Go by Tracy Rose Payton. Night Wherever We Go is Payton's debut novel that follows six enslaved women living on a plantation in Texas in the decade leading up to the Civil War. Despite the women's differences, we see them come together and take seemingly small risk every day to hold on to their bodily autonomy, their spiritual beliefs, faith, and just holding on to themselves. But their owners come closer and closer to discovering the women's secrets, and the truth can have severe consequences for the women. Night Wherever We Go by Tracy Rose Payton is published by Eco Books and it's available for purchase now at bookstores everywhere. So add Night Wherever We Go by Tracy Rose Payton to your TBR pile. It's a historical debut novel you won't soon forget. Well, hello there and welcome to another episode of the Reader's Couch podcast. It's Throwback Thursday and in today's episode, I'm sharing an interview I had with author Margaret Wilkerson Sexton to talk about her second novel, The Revisioners. 
This interview was recorded in October 2019 and the book was published in November 2019. Since our chat, Margaret Wilkerson Sexton has gone on to publish her third novel, On the Rooftop, which was published in September 2022. And this book was also the Reese's Book Club pick for that same month. But in my interview with Margaret, we talk about her novel, The Revisioners. The Revisioners is a multi-generational family story told in alternating chapters from the point of view of two African-American women. We get the point of view of a biracial single mom in 2017 and a former sharecropper turned farm-owning widow in 1924. Now, in total, this novel spans and weaves the story of five generations of women. And through the novel, we see their fight for freedom and survival, plus the love, honour and gratitude for the generations who came before. Now, without even looking back at my reading journal, I can tell you, hands down, this is my favourite novel by author Margaret Wilkerson Sexton. This was the first book of hers that I read, and after reading it, I went back to her debut novel, A Kind of Freedom, which I also loved as well, and I did also read On the Rooftop that she published in September 2022, and that was the Reese's Book Club pick. But again, hands down, of her three books, The Revisioners is my standout favourite. Like, I want you to read this book. I want everyone, honestly, to read this book, because I loved it so 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 much and look you know this novel has heartbreak in there it has loss in there but at the same time it's incredibly triumphant and just the way the novel honors the generations from before was just incredibly powerful incredibly beautiful it was so well written so well done so I know you know this author has three books and I really don't like playing favorites because I really enjoyed all three but again the revisioners is hands down my absolute favorite but anyway enough gushing on my side let's get into my chat with author margaret wilkerson sexton to talk about her novel the revisioners so margaret tell us about your novel the revisioners so the revisioners tells the story of josephine who in 1924 is a former enslaved woman and former sharecropper and um, she's widowed but she has through a stroke of luck become a landowner. She owns a 300 acre farm and um, she's, she's flourishing. She's, she's grateful because of the resources she has and the friendships and the relationships, but also because she vividly remembers and, and chronicles in this story, her escape from slavery. So there's always this juxtaposition going of what it used to be like when she wasn't free and what it's like now. However, this is the year that a white woman moves next door. And um, the woman, the white woman, is is younger than Josephine. Josephine's in her 70s. This woman's in her 20s. Um, this woman is lonely. She's not as secure as Josephine. And she attempts to forge this relationship with this older woman. And at first, Josephine is hesitant for reasons we understand um, because of what we know about history. But ultimately, she acquiesces and they form this cautious friendship. That's upended once Josephine learns that the woman is a member of the clan. And then many, many, many generations later, Josephine's great, great, great granddaughter, Ava, is a biracial woman. She's um, come upon some hard times financially, and she decides to move in 
with her white grandmother in this wealthy uptown New Orleans neighborhood in a mansion, essentially. And it's supposed to be a win-win. She'll help her grandmother whose health is failing. Her grandmother will, will help her with her, um, with her cash flow. And at first it goes that way. At first it's, it's, um, it's pretty smooth. And then the grandmother's behavior becomes increasingly erratic and even racist. And Josephine's and Ava's storylines threaten to converge. Margaret, what was your inspiration for this novel? Also, what was kind of the backstory to it coming to light, to this story living and breathing today? Yeah, well, there were a few things. I mean, I, I had the idea in 2005 to to tell a story that would take place in two time frames. So one would be during slavery and one would be during contemporary time. And in each setting, there would be a relationship between a white woman and a black woman. And despite the huge gap chronologically, um, the dynamics between the white woman and the black woman in each time frame would essentially be the same. And so um, you would have, you know, a, a, a slave mistress and an enslaved person, an enslaved woman interacting in the same way that a contemporary black woman and her, for instance, white grandmother were interacting. I just thought that would be really interesting. And um, and the connection between those interactions would become more and more apparent as the book progressed. Um, so I had that idea in 2005. And then um, in 2016, we had the election, the presidential election, and um, the discrepancy between voting patterns, um, the, the discrepancy in voting patterns between black women and, and white women um, was revealed and um, was, was stark. And I thought this is a really good time to address the history of this discrepancy and to try to facilitate through this story, to try to facilitate conversations around uh, the discrepancy and conversations that would facilitate healing. Right, right. Absolutely. How long did it take for you to write this novel, start to finish? Start to finish. That's a good question. Probably a year. I was working on another book. I was working on a book about black kids at a boarding school. Mm-hmm. I went to a boarding school and um, I thought that was going to be my next book. And then I, I worked on that. So I was working on that at the end of 2017 and then maybe in January of 2018, I started this book okay. and then um, we submitted it in June of 2018. And then, you know, there were edits and stuff, but I, I guess total about a year. About a year. Okay. Sounds good. So Margaret, how, did publishing your first book change your process of writing? And for our listeners who are not familiar, Margaret previously published A Kind of Freedom in 2017. That was her debut novel. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I actually love to talk about that because it freed me up. It, it, um, so when I was writing my first book, and there was one even before Kind of Freedom that was never published, I was just inundated with this, these voices while I was writing, like, you know, this is never going to go anywhere. Um, you're wasting your time. Um, you know, that kind of thing. It was very disruptive yes. and I worked through it, but it was very disruptive. And so most of the time when I was writing, I really wasn't in a, in a good place emotionally, you know? Mm-hmm. And so having the, having the luck, having the luxury and the freedom of being published, you know, I know now when I write that someone's going to read it because I also have an amazing publisher. So they're not going to, they're not going to be like, Oh, you didn't sell enough this time. We're going to pull, you know, we're not going to publish you anymore. So I have that security of knowing that what I write is going to be read and 
it just frees me up. And for instance, like with the, with a kind of freedom that books heavily outlined, you know, um, I wrote an outline and then I, um, I, I adhered to the outline when I was actually writing the book. So I knew what would happen on page 50. You know, I, I just knew every scene. There were very few surprises. With the revisioners, it was all a surprise. The 1924 section, Josephine and the Farm, I never intended to write about a woman living on a farm. That was all just completely channeled. And then same with the section um, in the slave period. So I, I, I think... I think having the freedom of, of not wondering if I was wasting my time or if anyone was going to read it allowed me to actually just um, surrender to the story that needed to be told. And, um, and so I'm so grateful for that. I, it's, it, it was only two years later, you know, so I remember, I remember writing the first book and I remember how miserable I would feel a lot of the time because I didn't know if, it, you know, it's yeah. such a, a rigorous process and it's such an uncertain process to be published. And I didn't know if it was going to work out. Right, right. Absolutely. I just loved hearing that publishing that first book kind of freed you. I mean, that's just beautiful and lovely to hear. But on a similar note, I'm really curious and I'm getting nosy, Margaret, but are you working on any other books, any other projects? What are you working on? Yeah, I'm working on a short story collection and it's called um, Eight Days on the Watchtower. Having said that, I feel like there's always one in, in between the book that's just, I'll write it and, you know, I'll spend the time on it, but it just doesn't work out. It, for whatever reason, it just doesn't cohere. But um, so my so my book that I'm working on now is a short story collection. It's cousins and um, how their relationship declines and then evolves over time. And um, and it also tells the story of their parents and their grandparents and, and, and how those relationships um, match their own in terms of um, in terms of uh, the patterns of connection. I have another book after that that I'm working on. And um, that one's called The Roof. And it's an adaptation of Fifth on the Roof. And but it's it's about three uh, black young ladies. And um, it's from their perspectives instead of the father's perspective. So I'm very excited about the roof. I feel I feel very very confident about the roof. Like you can't tell me that the roof won't be out there in the world. I'm a little bit more hesitant about Eight Days on the Watchtower just because, um, you know, I've never really done short story collections. Um, it's it's interesting putting it together. It's interesting. It's it's um, I'm still figuring out how to um, how to situate the different pieces. So we'll see. Time will tell. Absolutely, absolutely. Time will tell. And I'm just really excited for whatever makes it out there next from you, because I'm genuinely a big fan of your work. Thank you. Um, Okay, Margaret, switching gears and getting into your reading life. What was your favorite childhood book? Oh, maybe Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. Yeah, Yeah. I love that book. It's very soothing for me. I I don't. I mean, I, I guess I'd say it was one of the first times I saw myself reflected racially, but on the other hand, she had such a different life and it's a different timeline. I don't think I necessarily saw myself in the main character, but um, you know, that, that I guess what it is, is it's like, that's this, that's my subject matter. It's even the subject matter I choose to write about now, like historical Southern um, I'm thinking, I, I, if I'm remembering correctly, it was the South. Um, I haven't read it in probably 25 years, but um but you know that's that same, and then and then working with the racial theme. Yes, um, that's just me. That's just my wheelhouse. So I think I probably recognized 
there was a comfort there for me. And I still pull on that same wheelhouse, basically, when I'm when I'm working on my own stuff. Right, right. I get that. I get that. What book would you say is your favorite underappreciated novel right now? You know, you hate to answer that question. because <laughs> I see my own book on an underappreciated list and I was like, oh, I thought it was okay. I thought I did okay. <laughs> uh, um, I don't know. I, huh. There's a book called Lot. It's a book of stories. I think his name is Brian Washington, the yes. writer. But I don't want to say it was underappreciated. It was. I just feel like it was the best book. And I, I, I you know, I want to see more people reading it. Absolutely. Let's stick with that. And by the way, I feel the exact same way, read and loved a lot. So definitely want to see more people reading and talking about and writing about this collection. But getting back to your book, Margaret, uh, how do you want readers to feel after reading The Revisioners? That's a really good question. I I think with a kind of freedom, my first book, I, I think I wanted my readers to feel sad. I think I wanted the feeling that the feeling that they had after finishing to match the gravity of the situation I was describing, which was, you know, three generations of a black family um, in which the trajectory was not upward, but downward because of systemic issues in this country. And so that's, you know, that's a serious and sad issue. And I, and I think I wanted the readers to feel that sadness. I, I'm, I feel differently about the revisioners. Um, I want... I want people to feel hopeful. I want, I mean, I want, especially black people. I want black readers to read this and feel like my ancestors' struggles were not in vain. And, and um, I'm not only inheriting their trauma, I'm inheriting their strength, their wisdom, their power. That's all living in me. And that's enabling me to rise to, um, to any, to, to rise to my potential and to, and to meet any oppression I might face in this lifetime. So that's how I want my black readers to feel. I, I want the, the mainstream, you know, I want, I want other readers to, to think, Oh, you know, this is a, this, this, this issue, not just of white supremacy, but of the way in which white women benefit from white supremacy and, and, and help to enforce it. I want, I want them to, I want other readers to make connections between what we saw in 2016 and what's been going on for generations before, you know, it's, it's not, this is not the first instance in which there's been this huge gap between black women and white women. And my intention is definitely not to guilt or shame anybody. I don't think that's helpful. I just want to um, open the door to have these conversations to, to, to track history and to connect different patterns across history and, um, and to start to, and to start to facilitate healing. Absolutely, absolutely. Margaret, thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you so much for listening to the Reader's Couch podcast. Please subscribe to the show, share it with a friend, and take a few seconds to leave a rating and review. Until next time, stay lounging, stay reading, and whenever you're in doubt, go straight to your local bookstore or library. Thanks again for listening, and happy reading.